0: That's what we're going to talk about this morning, uh, is the need around our world. Uh, So I found out yesterday that after service, there's sandwiches and ice cream. That's that's a bonus. That's awesome. Man, I feel like I was talking to someone yesterday. They said, you just preach here when there's food after the service. That might be right. Last time I preached here, you guys had tacos. So uh, I'm not going to deny that. Well, listen, um, we have a lot to go over. I'm excited to, to bring the word this morning, and I just want to thank uh, Pastor Dexter uh, for this opportunity and just everything he's doing. I want to thank you guys, and uh, man, we just, we love this church. We love this church, right, <laughs> Sky? We, we love Bethel Gary. We love coming here. And so uh, before we get into it, let's just, let's just go to the Lord in prayer. Father, the plight of the world is sobering. Daunting, dare I say, hopeless, seemingly hopeless when we watch that video. The vast need in our world for more churches, for more Christians to go, for the gospel to be sent forth. But we know things are not hopeless. We have hope in Jesus. God, I pray that we'd be so filled with joy and with hope that we would stop at nothing to get the gospel to where it needs to go and to who it needs to go to. So God, I pray that you would call out maybe even people here this morning to be ambassadors of reconciliation across our world. At the, Lord, at the very least, all of us are called to be missionaries and ambassadors of reconciliation right where we are. Let us reach our neighbors, our coworkers, our classmates, our bosses, our teachers, our family, our friends. Let us reach those around us with Jesus because the good news is too good to not be shared. God, give us a fire in our hearts that burns for you. This morning, Lord, will you lay a heavy burden through the Holy Spirit for the state of things around the world that we would not sit back and do nothing, but we would cry out to the Lord, here am I, send me. Father, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I want you guys to pull out your cell phones. Usually pastors don't encourage you to pull out your cell phone because you're going to play Angry Birds or something. But pull out your cell phones unless you don't have a smartphone, in which case talk to your kids and tell them to get you a smartphone for Christmas. But I want you to pull out your phones, and I want you to either go to Google or YouTube, and I want you to type this in. Don't watch the video yet. Save it for after the service. Type in tribe hears gospel for the first time. Tribe hears gospel for the first time. If I was more prepared, I would have put this video on the screen. But there there actually are several videos that will pop up, and they're incredible. Tribes who were untouched, unreached, unengaged with the gospel, and they hear the gospel for the first time, and just something radical happens. There's one in particular that might come up. It's about a minute and a half. And uh, I think it's from the mid to late 80s. There's this tribe called the Maouk tribe in Papua New Guinea. And some missionaries go to Papua New Guinea, go to this tribe in the middle of nowhere, and they live with them. They're immersed in their culture, learning the language, learning the customs, meeting the people, loving on the people, uh, just getting to know who they are, doing incarnational ministry. They do that for two or three years, really getting to know this village, this tribe. Well, they learn the language, and the time comes, and they want to, disciple. They want to teach them about Christ. And so they actually go through a three-month biblical study through the scriptures, starting with the Old Testament. They work all the way through the Bible for three months, every day, twice a day, for several hours. And this village of hundreds, maybe thousands, not one missed a single time, not one. And they all were so enthralled with the gospel, with bated breath and eager expectation to hear the truth that they that they they were they wouldn't miss a single session. So much so that people would get sick and in their infirmary they would just bring them on a mat and place them outside the, the circle where they were doing this teaching so they can be in with an earshot and hear the teaching. I kid you not, ladies would be pregnant and in labor and they'd have them right outside the circle so they could be in labor like ah and still hearing the, the Bible study. That's incredible. They said that that ladies would be giving birth. The baby would come out, it's screaming, it's crying, and they're still going on with their teaching. They don't even stop for that. See, everybody in our world understands sin and knows sin. Atheists understand sin. Everybody understands that we are jacked up, messed up, broken people in a broken, imperfect world. There's nobody that would dispute that. And so this tribe, they knew something was wrong with them. They knew something was wrong with the world. They just didn't know how to get that fixed. And so they were so eager to hear the gospel. And so for three months, they're going through this systematic study in the Bible and they finally get to the person of Jesus. They explain who Jesus is and they're just like, man, Jesus was awesome. And they get to the point of the gospel. They're about ready to share the gospel and they talk about how Jesus heals you. He frees you. He redeems you from your sins. You're set free. You have forgiveness. And in this video the, the, the people stand up and they're like, is it true? And, you know, in their language, they're saying, is it true? And they go back and forth. Yes, it's true. If you genuinely believe in Jesus, you are forgiven of your sins. And they keep saying, no, no, is that true? Is that true? I mean, almost in disbelief, is that really true? And the missionary say, yes, it's true. Jesus came and died and rose from the dead to set you free, to give you redemption, to give you salvation. Yes, it's true. And in the midst of this, this guy stands up. And he says, I believe, in his language. Another person stands up and says, I believe, I believe, I believe, I believe. All these people stand up and say, I believe. And it's like, <laughs> it breaks out into mass euphoric hysteria. I mean, more than France winning the World Cup, they just, they're, they're huddling together, they're hugging one another, and you can just see the joy, the countenance changes when belief sets in and they trust in Jesus and they're saved from their sins, I mean, they are jumping, they're all, it's like a mosh pit, literally. There's one guy who's like crowd surfing (laughs) on the rest of them. It's awesome. There's so much joy. And you see a tribe, an entire tribe, an entire village changed by the gospel of Jesus. This is happening all over our world. God is concerned about people. And he's mostly concerned about his glory Psalm 96 says, declare his glory among all the peoples. His marvelous works among all the nations. God wants his glory to cover the earth like the word says, like the seas cover the oceans. He's consumed with thoughts of his glory and with people knowing him and getting saved and finding satisfaction and fulfillment in him. It's God's plan. And God's plan is to reach every tribe, every tongue, and every culture with Jesus. Come on, somebody. Every tribe, every tongue and culture with Jesus. That's God's plan. Turn to Acts chapter 10. Some of you, (laughs) when you saw the title of the sermon on the screen, God's plan, thought of the Drake song. Come on now, don't lie. You know it. (laughs) I'm not preaching on Drake. Preaching from the word. If you don't know who Drake is, talk to your kids. (laughs) Acts chapter 10. Here you have this powerful guy named Cornelius, and he's Roman centurion of the Italian Regiment. Basically a captain of a legion of soldiers, vast soldiers for the Roman Empire. This was a man's man. I mean, this was a leader of men. You would think, as he's probably, you know, dressed in all his Roman garb, his armor, leading a battalion of soldiers, he would be a model of self-sufficiency and strength. But this guy was a mess. He was a mess Oh, he believed in God's existence. He even feared God, it says. He was a deeply religious man. He prayed constantly. He gave to the poor. He worshiped God. But he didn't know God. He wasn't saved. No one had ever told him the gospel. And he has this deep heart longing for more, knowing that he is broken. We are broken. There's got to be something more to life than this. Any LeBron James fans? Come on, show of hands. Don't be ashamed. LeBron James fans in the house. I know Pastor Dexter is a LeBron James fan. Can we just have a moment of silence for the Cleveland Cavaliers? (laughs) Listen, you can know all about LeBron. I can know that on March 12, 2006, he had this many rebounds and this many steals. This was his three-point percentage. This was his shot percentage. Uh, He played this many minutes. I can know all about his personality, what he likes and doesn't like, his his habits, his hang-ups, his hobbies. I can know what he likes to eat. I can know everything about him but not know him. If I knew him, I'd be having dinner with him. I'd be, hey, can I uh, ride in your limo there? You know, uh, he comes to Chicago to play a game. We would meet up. I would ask him, listen, I would ask him, Lakers, come on. Really, LeBron? Why? So you can know all about LeBron without knowing LeBron. And there are people who know all about God, and they completely miss out on knowing God through Jesus. Cornelius looked like a great Christian. He prayed continually. He gave to the poor. Actually, I would say he looked better than most Christians. But internally, he was a mess because he did not know Jesus. But he wanted to. He wanted, he didn't even know about Jesus. He, He wanted to know God more. He wanted to be saved. And so he was seeking God out. And I believe God answered his prayers in the form of an angel. Look what it says. An angel appears to him. What is interesting about that aside from the fact that an angel appears to him, is <laughs> that an angel appears to him and does not tell him the gospel. All right now. Why? Turn to Romans chapter 10. All right now. Go to the next book, Romans chapter 10. I realize we're in the book of Romans. We're not in chapter 10 yet. We're in like chapter four. This is a little snack, okay? This is a little sneak peek for later. Romans chapter 10, verse 13. This is one of the most powerful passages on the need for missions, It says, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. I think we need to read that again. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. For how many? Everyone. Everyone. Come on, say that with me. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That's a promise. Take it to the bank. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? How are they to believe in him in whom they have not heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? But how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? So, listen, faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. God chooses to use fallible, stubborn imperfect, thick-headed humans like myself and like you to dispense his gospel. Oh, he could write the gospel in the sky. He could make the cloud formation right now outside form into, you are a sinner and you need Jesus. He could change the constellation of the stars to proclaim the gospel in written word. He could simultaneously make tattoos appear. We can be tatted up on our forearm John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. God could do that if he wanted to. He could do anything, right? He could even give dreams of the gospel. Let me just, as a side note, say this. God does give people dreams. You understand that, right? There are thousands, maybe millions around the world who have dreams, visions of Jesus. I, I have personal friends of mine who grew up Muslim, they are Muslim background believers. And they hear the gospel, they get saved radically, they're trusting in Jesus, they're Christians now, and they're doing incredible things for the Lord. And several of them have told me they had visions of Jesus, they had dreams of Jesus. But never, listen to me, never in these dreams is the gospel proclaimed. Never, do you know why? Because dreams are not the means for which God dispenses the gospel, we are. And in those dreams, they point to Jesus. They say, hey, you you need to hear about Jesus. You need to find someone who knows Jesus. And so it stirs their heart as a catalyst for getting the gospel, but the gospel is not shared in the dreams. That's not how the Lord has sovereignly planned to proclaim the gospel. We are God's plan to proclaim Jesus to the world. Amen, amen, amen. We are plan A, and there is no plan B. Why? Wouldn't angels be so much better? If an angel appeared in my bedroom and said, Jared Bryant, you'd better believe in Jesus. First of all, I'd pass out. Probably soil myself. (laughs) And then when I came to you, I'd be like, yes, sir, I will believe whatever you want to believe. I would be terrified. My knees would be knocking. And it says here that Cornelius too was filled with terror. See, maybe that's the point. There's something about faith that comes by hearing from another person There's some intrinsic value to faith that God delights in. I think it's because, listen to me now, I think it's because faith drains every drop of our boasting in our own works. It forces reliance on him. He does all the saving. We do nothing. God delights in faith. Can I get a couple volunteers? Yeah, come on up. Come on up. Don't everyone volunteer at once. All right. Come on up. So, oh, I just forgot your name. Not Frank. Uh, Will. Will. Thank you, Will. Thank you. Will and Anita. Anita, Okay. Anita, I want you to stand right here. Will, kind of go off to the side. Are you a good swimmer, Will? (laughs) I'm decent. Okay. We'll take it. All right, Anita. Let's imagine that you are in a massive lake. Somehow you're in Lake Michigan. I don't know who put you there. You've been there? (laughs) Yeah. You're in the middle of the lake. And it's big, and and you're somehow in the middle of this lake. I mean, Lake Michigan's big. I call it Michigan Ocean. So you're in the middle of this lake, and let's say you can't swim. You are thrashing about, you're you're moving your arms, you're doing every there you go. <laughs> you're doing everything you can to stay afloat. See, that's religion. We do everything we can in our own works, but we are still drowning. And so you are you, <laughs> you didn't even do this move. So you are sinking your now you see Will on the shore. Let's say Will is like Michael Phelps. Yeah, yeah. So if you want to be rescued, you want to be saved, what do you do? You can use your voice. Oh, (laughs) she would say, help, Will. And then Will over here, like, I mean, like Superman, he's like, I got this. And so you dive in, dive in. Come on, dive in. Dive in. And you rescue Anita, and you pull her to shore. Go ahead. You pull her to shore. And here she goes. He is rescuing Anita. They get to shore, and she's saved. Everybody, give on a hand. You guys can have a seat. Thank you. Now, did Anita do anything on her own ability to be saved? No. Nothing. Nothing. She simply said, I need help. And she cried out, and Will dove in, rescued her and brought her to shore. Listen, all we do is cry out, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. God, help me, I need to be saved. And Jesus dives into humanity. He rescues us at the cross and pulls us to shore. I believe Cornelius was calling on the name of the Lord to be saved. And I believe this because the angel says his prayers have appeared before God as a worship offering. He says that. When people cry out to the Lord, those are sweet sounds of worship that bring God glory. Lord, I need you. Lord, I need you. How many of you ever prayed that prayer? Woo! Almost daily. Lord, I need you. Salvation always starts with that prayer. But the angel does not tell him the gospel. Oh, he could have, but he doesn't. Instead, he tells him who to go to, to hear the gospel. The angel tells him, if you want to hear the good news, go to Simon Peter, who is staying with Simon the leather worker. It's a lot of Simons, bear with me. So, we look at verse 9, and the next day, Peter, switching scenes in this story, Peter is hanging with his bro Simon, and it says that he gets on the roof to pray at noon because why not? (laughs) Need to get away to pray. Climb up on the top of your house on the roof in the hottest part of the day. I don't know why he does it. Maybe I do. You know when you've just been around people a lot and you just need to kind of get away? Linda, you have been with us for seven days at our house. I got to get away. Hey, folks, if you need me, I'll be on the roof. And so Peter climbs up on the roof to pray to get away from the Lord, just to spend some solitary time with God. And it was around lunchtime, and as you would expect, around lunchtime, Peter gets hungry. And in irony, God now gives him a vision of food. And this vision is kind of strange. Peter sees the heavens opened, and a sheet is lowered to the earth that has all kinds of animals on it. Very likely animals that were declared ceremonially unclean to eat according to the Jewish law in Leviticus 11. So we're talking pigs, rabbits, snakes. Crabs, lobsters, clams, frogs. Some of you, this is breaking your heart. (laughs) Dozens of other animals that Jewish people could not eat because they were declared unclean, profane, tainted. To this day, Jewish people will not eat any of those animals. And the Lord tells Peter, hey, get up, rise, kill, and eat. And Peter says, no, no, Lord. Oh, I can't do that. He refuses. He says, I I can't do that. I have never defiled my diet by eating these restricted, unclean, profane, tainted things. No, I'm I'm not going to do it. I've never done it. I'm not going to defile myself by eating these defiled things. He's arguing with the Lord. Let me tell you something. When you look at Scripture or maybe in your own life, anytime you argue with the Lord, you're not going to win. So Peter's arguing with the Lord, and God tells him, don't declare something defiled, unclean, and tainted that I have made clean. Amen, amen, amen. Three times they have this exchange. They go back and forth. Peter's like, no, 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 I can't do it. He's saying, don't call something unclean that I've made clean. Rise, get up, and eat. No, no, Lord, I can't do it. I can't do it. Don't call something unclean that I've declared clean. Three times they have this exchange. And then the sheet of animals goes back into the clouds, out of sight, and Peter wakes up. What in the world just happened? Is God really so concerned about their lack of dietary restrictions? Is that what is occurring here? Is God opening up Peter and the Jewish believers to the wide, wonderful, beautiful world of bacon? Bacon, somebody, can I get an amen? Amen. That might have been the loudest amen I've ever gotten. (laughs) Swine is divine is that what's going on here? Well, a little. Praise God for this passage, right? Somewhat, but that's not the main point. The Lord used symbolism and metaphor all the time in Scripture. It says that Peter is perplexed, and as he's pondering what this vision means, the Holy Spirit says, hey, three men are looking for you. Go with them. Without hesitation, I have sent them. So Peter goes down from the roof. He finds out that the this angel of God appeared before this guy Cornelius, a God-fearing Roman centurion, a Gentile, by the way, very important, and that the angel told Cornelius to seek Peter out to hear what he has to say. And so Peter invites these Gentiles in to be his guests at the house where he himself is a guest. (laughs) I don't recommend doing that. That has nothing to do with the story. I just think that's really funny. Why is all this so significant? Jewish people back then did not have the highest view of non-Jewish people. Listen, they had two classifications. You were either Jewish or you were Gentile. Literally, you were either Jewish or non-Jewish. So they said, there's us, the Jewish people, and then there's everybody else. We'll just call them Gentiles. Sounds kind of arrogant, right? I'd be like us saying, oh, no, you're not Chinese. You're non-American. You're not Peruvian, you're not American. You're not Moroccan, you're not American. I mean, that would be absurd, right? They, they were a cloistered people, shut off from the rest of the world, and Jewish people viewed themselves as God's chosen people. And they were, hear me, listen, they were God's chosen people, and they are God's chosen people. They, they, this mindset started to sink in, all others were beneath them, and so they had a somewhat elitist mindset. We're clean and you're not. And according to Jewish law, they were to have nothing to do with Gentiles. They assumed all Gentiles were unclean. And so the early church, the early Christians, did not go to Gentiles, to non-Jewish people, with the gospel. And in this symbolic vision to Peter, God is essentially saying, I created all peoples. I want all peoples to know me for my glory. I love them all. Listen to me, the gospel is for everyone. It's for everyone. No people group can claim ownership of it or exclusive rights to it. It's for all peoples. There is no room in humanity for bias, prejudice, favoritism, or preferential treatment. In fact, some scholars even believe that the sheet itself represents the four corners of the earth. Four corners of the sheet represent the four directions, north, south, east, west, meaning that from this point on, All around the world, people should know Jesus, and will know Jesus. In Matthew 28, we call it the Great Commission. Jesus says, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of some nations, a few nations. We'll pick and choose which nations. How many? All nations. All people everywhere need Jesus. So we look at verse 23. So the next day, Peter goes with these guys to Caesarea to meet Cornelius. And Cornelius, who has been seeking the Lord with all his heart, is so eager. Listen, he's so eager to hear the good news of salvation that he has gathered all his buddies, all his friends, all his family. They're packed into this house. We don't know how many dozens, maybe even hundreds, are gathered there together. He's like, hey, there's this guy, Peter, coming. I've never met him. I don't know anything about him. But He's coming to tell us the truth and how we can be saved. And Cornelius, upon seeing Peter, immediately bows down to worship him. And Peter's like, whoa, 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 whoa. He picks him up. He's like, whoa, dude. That's a Jared Bryant translation. (laughs) Dude, listen. Don't worship me. I'm just a guy. But I'll tell you about the one who you should worship. Peter goes in and he tells them, it's not lawful for a Jewish person to visit the home of a non-Jewish person, let alone even associate with them. Whew. Way to be a good guest, Peter. That's, that's kind of rude, right? Hey, I'm not even supposed to be with you guys. You're all unclean. I'm clean. I mean, this is the first thing he says. But, then he says, but God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean that he has made clean. Listen. All people are valuable to God and should hear the gospel truth. All people. Cornelius then tells Peter his story, He gives a background of how this all happened and why he sent for him. And he tells him in verse 33, now therefore we are all here in the presence of God to hear all that you have been commanded by the Lord. I wonder, I wonder how many Millions of people in our world are waiting to hear the good news of Jesus, but no one is there to tell them. We've seen in Romans, in this study we've been doing, that people can see evidence of God's existence. They can know about God's character through creation, that's Romans 1.20, for the invisible attributes and the divine nature can be clearly perceived through what he has made, therefore man is without excuse, Romans 1.20. We can know God's existence and his character through creation, but we can also know about God's existence and character through our conscience. Romans chapter 2, 14 through 16 says, Those who don't have the law have the law written on their hearts. We have our conscience. God puts this morality on our hearts. But also, people can see how messed up our world is and how broken we are. That's Romans 3. So in Romans 1, 2, and 3, it says that people can know there is a powerful, holy, loving, almighty God who created us to know him, but they can also know I am broken, I'm messed up, this world is broken, we are messed up, things are not as they should be. What is the solution? Who will save me? Who will redeem me? Who will restore us? Someone can know all that without hearing the gospel. You know what the bubonic plague was? The bubonic plague was this horrific disease in the Middle Ages, 1200s and 1300s, called Black Death. In fact, they just called it the plague. And it wiped out a third of Europe, millions across Africa and Asia. I mean, it wiped out a huge population across the world in the Middle Ages. Mostly, it's eradicated right now. Mostly. But did you know that thousands of people still die from the plague around the world? Thousands around the world still die from the plague, this Middle Ages disease. And with the advent of modern medicine and antibiotics and vaccines, there's a cure. So you have people who are sitting in the bubonic plague and they're thinking, I am dying, I'm diseased. They look at their pain, they look at their hurt, they look at all their turmoil that they're in and they're saying, everything is hopeless. See, they know all about their disease, but they don't know the cure. Three billion people in our world have no access to the gospel. Three billion. There are no churches in their area They do not know a single Christian. See, they know all about the disease of sin. They know all about their brokenness. They know all about the fact that they are dying. But they're ignorant to the fact that there is a cure. Three billion people. That's not a number. That's not a statistic. Those are human souls who will face God's eternal wrath for their sin unless someone tells them the gospel. And they are crying out, Who will tell us? Who will tell them? Who will tell them? Now I've heard people say, but aren't there enough lost people here locally? Oh yeah. There are a lot of lost people. And Gary and Crown Point, Cedar Lake, and Hobart Portage. We have a lot of lost people. And we should not neglect those who are lost around us. In Acts 1:8, when Jesus gives the Great Commission. He says, but you will be my witnesses when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. He doesn't say in Jerusalem or Judea or Samaria or wherever you feel like going. It's not either or, folks. We got to reach people for Jesus locally. We got to reach people for Jesus regionally. We got to reach people for Jesus globally. There are lots of people around our world that need Jesus. And if that doesn't burden us, we might as well tell them to go to hell. Because as of now, unless God intervenes by sending someone to preach the gospel, that's where they're going. People around the world need to hear the saving truth of Jesus. Oh, that we had many more Christians saying, here am I, send me. Here am I, Lord, send me. Peter begins to understand this that all people need the gospel. And look what he says. Let's read this together. Romans, whoop, Acts. Sorry, Acts. I'm in Romans mode. Acts 10, verse 34. So Peter opened his mouth, and he said, Truly I understand that God shows no partiality, that in every nation anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. As for the word that he sent to Israel, preaching good news of peace through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. You yourselves know Not to all the people, but to us who have been chosen by God as witnesses who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. And listen, verse 42, and he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one appointed by God and to be the judge of the living and the dead. To him, all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. Come on, somebody. Friends, this is the gospel. Peter proclaims the good news of salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, and Jesus alone. And in verse 35, he says that people from every nation can be saved. The word for nation here is the Greek word ethnos. It's literally where we get our word what? Ethnicity. Ethnicity. Peter is not saying merely that believers will arise from every political nation. Right now, as it stands, we have 195 countries around the world. He's not saying that there will be people from 195 countries, although that's true. It's so much bigger than that. Because ethnos means people group. And a people group is an ethno-linguistic group with a common self-identity based on language, culture, heritage, and geography. There are over 17,000 people groups in our world. And here's the amazing thing. Peter says in verse 35 that people from every group can be saved. But Revelation 7, 9 says people from every group will be saved. There will be people representing Jesus at his throne in heaven for all eternity from all 17,000 people groups. How awesome will that day of worship be for all eternity. People representing every tribe, every tongue. Come on now. Every dialect, every language, every culture, every custom, every background, every city will represent and receive salvation around the throne of Jesus Christ. I'm looking forward to that worship service for all eternity. Amen? You think our worship team did a good job of worship, and they did, by the way. That ain't nothing. Whoa, let's have myriads of angels join us with millions of people from different languages and customs and backgrounds. That's going to be a worship service. See, that's how things will be. We can rejoice in that. But that's not how things are currently. Only 6,500, over 6,500 of the 17,000 people groups are unreached, meaning that there is not a large enough indigenous community of Christians to start a church Unless you think that when I say people groups, I'm talking about these tribes in the middle of Africa or South America and the Amazon. Listen, there are 84 unreached people groups in the U.S. Amen. There are a handful in the Chicago area an hour from us. Unreached people groups. There are 400,000 Christian missionaries around the world, which is astounding. That's awesome. But only 3% of those 400,000 missionaries go to the 40% of the world's population that has never heard of Jesus and has no access to the gospel. Only, listen to this, this is only 0.5% of missions giving has gone to sharing the gospel with the least evangelized part of the world. In other words, out of every $100 Christians give to missions, only 50 cents goes toward pioneer church planning among least reached people groups. Translation, there's work to be done. There's work to be done. Amen? Amen. Come on, if you're going to amen the worship service with 17,000 people groups, you better amen that there is work to be done in our world. But it won't be easy. There's a reason that there are over 6,500 unreached people groups and 3 billion people with no access to the gospel. It's because they are resistant, difficult, places and cultures. Christians who are currently in those areas are regularly and systematically persecuted and sometimes even martyred and killed for their faith. We need to stand with our persecuted brothers and sisters in Christ around the world. But just because the task is difficult, does that mean we shouldn't do it? Come on now, does that mean we shouldn't do it? Why would we go to where it is difficult to take the gospel? I'll tell you why. We go for the joy of knowing Jesus. It's the joy set before Christ that took him to the cross. It's the joy set before us to carry the gospel to where it hasn't been reached yet. Regardless of the risk and the death that we may face. Listen, we know where we're going, right? Why fear death? We know where we're going. We don't know where they're going. Until they know Jesus, they need to know Jesus. Listen, they need to know Jesus we look at verses 42 and 43 again. And he commanded us to preach to the people, this is Peter, and to testify that he is the one appointed to God by God to be judge of the living and the dead. To him all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. Folks, we have been commissioned by God, all of us. We are commanded to go. Now maybe it's to your neighbors, Maybe it's regionally, maybe it's globally. It's whatever God calls you to do. We're all commissioned to go and make disciples, are we not? Should we not do all that we can, even at the risk of our own lives, so that people have the opportunity to hear the gospel? Make no mistake, this is an enormous task. This is a monumental task. Dare I say, it's impossible. Well, I guess it's a good thing we serve the God who laughs at impossibilities. Amen? Amen. So let's go back to our story in Acts 10 and see what God did and what he still does around the world. Look at verse 44. While Peter was still saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. And the believers from among the circumcised who had come with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles, even on the non-Jewish people, for they were hearing them speaking in tongues and extolling God. Then Peter declared, hey, can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. And then they asked him to remain for some days. While Peter preaches the gospel. I'm telling you right now, as a pastor who loves preaching, if the Holy Spirit fell on this place and people got saved, I would stop and I would rejoice and we would baptize and it would be amazing. And that's what happens. The Holy Spirit moves in their hearts. People get saved. But notice they can't do this on their own. We can't do this on our own. Look at the text again. It says, while Peter was still saying these things, who fell on them? The Holy Holy Spirit. Spirit. Next verse it says, because of the gift of who? The Holy Spirit. It says, uh, verse 47 we're going to baptize these people who have received the Holy Holy Spirit. Spirit. The Holy Spirit is essential for the task. God doesn't just send us. He goes with us. And if we try to do it on our own, we will fail. We need the Spirit to go before us and with us. Do not neglect his role in this monumental task. I like to say it this way. The Christian life has high spiritual flammability. The Holy Spirit is the fire, and what he ignites is joy. Joy is set ablaze. Joy in Jesus spreads. Joy was never meant to be contained. Amen, amen, amen. And so they experience joy in Christ as the Holy Spirit falls on them. And Peter's like, hey, wait a minute. These people, who, by the way, he once thought were unclean, defiled, and untouchable, he's saying, hey, these people have been saved and they've received the Holy Spirit. What's stopping them from being baptized right now? Amen, amen, amen. If any of you got saved right now, I, we'd find some water somewhere. Come on. We'd take you to a bathtub in an apartment nearby. Something, I'm telling you. <laughs> joy in Jesus happens. The Holy Spirit breaks out. Isn't it such a joy to see people saved and baptized? I don't know if you were at the Lake Baptisms two weeks ago. Wasn't that awesome? Seeing over 100 people get baptized in Lake Michigan in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, testifying to the change that Jesus does in our lives to the Holy Spirit. Last week, like Autumn said, and thank you, Autumn, that was great. Last week, we took a group of 19 people to Chicago, and we got to partake in their church services, which happened to be on the, the street that day, and they invited the neighborhood. Hundreds, right? Literally hundreds of people came to this, and uh, it was awesome. They did like a block party. They had um, eating competitions, which was silly, but it worked. It brought people. I mean, they had jalapeno eating contests. They had sliders, you know, those burgers eating competition. They had this gross live goldfish eating competition. Hey, whatever it takes for the gospel, amen? Anyway, so they had this church service, and it was awesome. And like you said, people got baptized on the street. It was awesome. Man, I haven't been able to be a part of two incredible baptisms two weeks in a row. I'm ready to do this every Sunday, amen? The point is this. Jesus saves lives. Jesus saves lives. His very name, Yeshua, Jesus, means what? Salvation. Jesus saves lives. People just need to hear about Jesus, and it's happening. Thousands of Muslim refugees are turning to Jesus every single week. I'm not kidding. The underground church in areas like North Korea, which is the most oppressive nation in our world statistically, by any study, by any metric, it's the most hazardous for Christians. The underground church in in North Korea, Iran, Iraq, Afghanistan, China, all these areas where they, people are being martyred for the faith, the church is actually growing and far outpacing church growth in the West. Every year, churches are planted among unreached people groups. So that 6,500 number is getting less and less every year. Slowly, but it's coming down. Every year, the Bible is translated into languages previously without the Bible. Those are things to rejoice in, right? Amen. Come on, somebody. Those are things to rejoice in. Yes. Now... Here's the thing. You may be sitting here going, so what does all this have to do with me? Well, if you are a Christian, you have a role in this. First of all, you have a role in reaching those who are around you. we got to reach our neighborhood. we got to reach our community. we got to reach our friends and family and coworkers and classmates for Jesus. But you have a role in global missions as well, even if God doesn't call you to go internationally. Here's what I want to do. Our volunteers are going to pass out these booklets. I would love for every one of you to take one of these. This is a booklet that we just recently produced. They're going to be handing out at the missions night next week. That we are going to be giving out to the other campuses next week as well on their mission Sunday. And the booklet is called On Mission because we are commanded to be what? On mission. And so I, I want to point out a few things here. The first thing, when you open it, and they're, they're passing them out right now, when you open this booklet, First page gives our mission strategy at Bethel. And it's three things. It's very simple. Pray, send, and go. Pray, send, and go. It always starts with prayer, does it not? The role of prayer is imperative in missions. In fact, there's a quote, I forget where, it's a quote about halfway through this booklet by a guy, I don't know how to pronounce his name. And he says, the history of missions is a history of answered prayer. Prayer is vital for missions. So what do we pray for? First, pray for boldness. The Apostle Paul, greatest missionary in history, prayed for boldness in Ephesians 6. Peter and John, incredible apostles, in Acts chapter 4, pray for boldness. Listen, if Peter, John, and Paul pray for boldness, don't you think we should? Pray for boldness. Pray for compassion. Jesus tells us to pray for compassion. Lord, give me a heart for people. Let me see people as you see people. Let me be your hands and feet. Let me be your voice. Pray for our ministry partners. As you go through this booklet, you're going to see several of our missionaries and ministry partners. Pray for them. Pray for them every week. Pray for them every day. In fact, the reason we do this, this is actually the the best thing to come out of Mission Sunday today and next week, Is because we want to get this in the hands of our people to pray for our missionaries and ministry partners. They need your prayers. Will you pray for them? Pray. Finally, pray for the lost around the world. Three billion people who have never heard of Jesus. Folks, in our day of technology, that is unacceptable. Pray that they are reached. So the first part of the strategy is pray. The second part is send. Go toward the back of the book. Kind of the second-to-last page, it says, "Missional giving and missional living." Part of the send strategy is uh, giving, giving to the work. It, it takes resources to get the gospel to where it needs to go, locally and globally. And so there are there's different ways you can give. I'm not going to go over that. You can read that. But also, part of sending is equipping. And so we are planning on doing some evangelism and missional training at each campus, meaning we're going to, we want to train our people on how to have good, intentional, organic gospel conversations. Right? We want to train people to get the gospel to those who don't yet have the gospel. And so actually, the first one is going to be at Bethel Gary two months from now. So mark that on the calendar. It'll be the first weekend of October. Mark that down. I don't know what day or time Dexter and I are working on that. But I think Bethel Gary is a great place to start evangelism training. People need Jesus. We all, everybody needs Jesus. So send, and then there's go. In the beginning of this booklet, there are a list of go trips that we're doing next year. Those are short-term mission trips, like the Chicago thing we did last week. But, but really, even more than that, I want you to go to where it says missional living in the back. We all need to live on mission. And so it gives six ways to live on mission. Pray. Listen, learn, engage, encourage, and seek. Read about that. We need to be going locally, regionally, and globally. Pray, send, go.